Friday 2D Cozy Bear Farm Podcast. I'm your host, Dejan Yerby, fresh from the farmer's market, so I'm a little bit exhausted wearing that 76 custom Cozy Bear jersey. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Shout out to Amazon. Um, You will see me rocking this every Saturday at the Marigold Farmer's Market in Winterville, Georgia from 10 to 2. Every Saturday till December 11th. I'm going to plug my stuff really quick at the beginning of the show. Uh, Today was a good market day. Sold out, so I'm kind of excited. Came to the studio. I saw one of the other people that leases an office here. His name is Miles, and I guess he was doing some yard work. And I love this kid, Miles. This kid, Miles, is hilarious. Every time I see him, he never has a shirt on. Never has a shirt on. He looks like the character from the movie Atlantis, that little kid movie. I think it's from Disney. He looks exactly like him. And in that movie, that guy's name was Milo. This guy's name is Miles. I love that guy. Never wears a shirt, always in khaki pants. He was doing some weed whacking, and I just looked at him, and I was like, hey, man, where's your shirt? And he was like, I just want to be free. And I'm like, who in the world we wax with no shirt on? I mean, you got grass flying everywhere. So, and I mean, he's in shape. He's in really, really good shape. So it's not like, hey, man, don't don't be walking around with no shirt on. But it's also like, hey, man, it's just us. It's just us two out here in this parking lot. And you have no shirt on and no shoes on. So I just, I just tell him like, hey, man. Put on a shirt sometimes. I love this kid, though. He's hilarious. He's very cultural, culture, but it's like, hey, man, put on a shirt. It's just us. I don't know who you're trying to impress. There's nobody else out here. Nobody else out here. Don't know who he's trying to impress. It's an empty parking lot, and we're the only two people in the whole entire office building. But I love him to death. He's slowly becoming one of my favorite uh, people on the planet. He's awesome. I I joke around with him all the time, and he takes me seriously for some reason. I was joking about going to Mexico and taking over a cartel the other day, and he legit thought I was telling the truth. And I was like, man, I really should be an actor because you guys be believing me when I'm joking. And now it's getting to the point where I have to keep telling people, hey, I'm joking, not not serious. I'm not finna go to I'm not finna go to Mexico and take over a cartel. I probably could, but I'm not going to. So don't do that. Also, got to debut my minivan at the farmers market. Love that little minivan. It makes me a parent now. Um, I have no children, but I have a minivan, so that makes me a father now. So I graduated from being everybody's big brother to now being everybody's father. So all because of a minivan. And I had juice boxes and, and goldfish for all the other vendors if they wanted some. Some people turned it down, but it's fine. That's fine. But on today's show, we're going to be doing a book review. So it's going to be it's not going to be a super long episode. going to be a pretty short episode. Um, we're going to be reviewing the book, The Urban Farmer, Growing Food for Profit on Leased and Borrowed Land by Curtis Stone. Let me put that up in the camera. It is a really, I really, really enjoyed this book. I really go back and reference this book. This guy also has a YouTube channel called The Urban Farmer. 
Or you can just type in Curtis Stone and he might come up or he might get a super successful chef. Uh, the chef guy probably will come up first. But I really, really enjoyed his book. When I was looking for land to buy, I ended up buying this book and it changed my mindset from you should buy land when you're first starting off to you should lease land when you're first starting off. When you're leasing land, there's a lot less bills and headaches that you have to deal with. So if you're starting off, I highly suggest if you can find somewhere to lease, I would lease that land. And it's even better if you can find a farm who already got all the infrastructure set up and they're leasing out little plots doing like this thing called an incubator program or something. Or you could find a retired farmer like I did. I found a retired farmer and he was just all like, hey, I got all this stuff out here. I really don't feel like growing anymore. I kind of want to stop and focus on other things. Um, for this much a month, you can have all this equipment and greenhouse and high tunnel and all this land for this much a month. And that was the best deal for me because it, it, it saves me a lot more on the back end because I don't have as much expenses to pay for. And if you buy another book called Profit First, it talks about how you should build up your profit margin first and get more income coming in before you start moving on to big purchases. So sooner or later, I am going to have to start looking at possibly buying more land or owning my own land. But I'm going to lease land as long as I can because I enjoy leasing land better than buying the land. Like again, there's less stuff that I have to worry about. But this book really did help my mindset on switching over to that. The book also goes over equipment, infrastructure, um, plans that you can go over to how you can make the most out of any size bit of land that you have. He talks about getting a cool box. He talks about getting tillers. He talks about getting BCSs. He talks about uh, how you should do your wash station. He breaks it all the way down and he gives you tips and suggestions and he breaks down how much stuff should be and how you should not pay over this much stuff for some of the stuff that he does. It really breaks down the business end of small scale farming if you're just starting off and you really want to just lease land and not buy land. Now, when, now Curtis Stone, he lives in Canada. And in Canada, there's a little bit of different rules in Canada than in the U.S. So in Canada, you can farm in your backyard for profit. I, I still believe you can. If you're a Canadian watching this, please let me know. But in America, like I said before, there's some places where if it's not an ag zone, then you can't farm for profit in your backyard. So what Curtis Stone did was he would go to people's houses, uh, ask them if he could farm in their backyard so basically lease out their backyard he wrote out a whole lease agreement with how much i'll pay for water um how much i'll pay for the land and if you want vegetables this is how many vegetables i'll give you and he would just have a couple of houses that he would farm at and that's how he kind of built up his empire and now he does more stuff with teaching farmers how to do stuff on educational courses and all that stuff online. He has his own. If you know what Patreon is, he kind of has his own kind of Patreon where he has exclusive content. So if you guys want to know more about everything that he's doing, that's what he's doing on that end. Or you could just get this book 
And I believe I got this from Amazon. Shout out to Amazon again. This is where I got this dope-ass jersey. But shout out to Amazon. Or you can go to Barnes Nobles or order it straight from his website. He has a lot of good um, content in this book. Uh, a lot of things that I liked in this book was just the business breakdown, like how he did his prices. He explains more about how to do a CSA if you're a small-scale farm. He explains more about how you can sell to restaurants if you're a small-scale leased-out farm. And he breaks down how he would do farmer's markets if he had a leased small-scale farm. So I do enjoy that. The only drawback I have in this book, so this book is amazing, and if you're a starting off farmer, I would highly suggest you buy this book. I highly suggest you get this book so you can get a complete breakdown of the business of small-scale farming. This book is amazing for that. The only drawback is, is the crops that he grow. Now, in Canada, it's a completely different climate. I'm in, I'm in Georgia. Georgia and Canada is like comparing apples to oranges. Our climates are just completely different. So in his book, he talks about growing quick turnaround crops like baby greens, heads of lettuce, turnips, carrots, radishes, cucumbers, tomatoes, cherry tomatoes. He emphasizes heavy on microgreens. He's in the business of growing stuff that can bring the highest return back. Now, that works great for Canada, but in Georgia, we don't have dry heat in the summer. So I know some people are saying, hey, I grow lettuce year-round in Arizona, or I grow lettuce year-round in Texas. They have this dry heat. We have really, really humid heat, and that brings in a lot of bugs, and our makes, it makes our plants just get wilty and destroyed very, very easily. We can try to prolong it with, like, heat tolerant crops or put shade cloth over it but it's a lot of extra work just to have lettuce and usually in the south too because i'm in the south the dirty south you have to look at the food demographics of where you're at and in the south when it's spring everybody loves leafy greens everybody loves carrots and radishes and stuff like that because um, they want lighter stuff because it's starting to get a little bit cooler. I mean, not cooler, starting to warm up a little bit. When it gets to the summer, we, we really like fruit vessel type of stuff. Tomatoes, cucumbers, squash, zucchini, watermelon, beans, peas. We, we like really fruit-heavy vegetable stuff. Then when we get into the fall, that's when we want those heartier foods because you're getting closer to those big dinner dates like Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever somebody else celebrates. So then you'll start growing more crops like broccoli and cabbage and turnips and rutabaga, stuff that fills you up and is kind of heavy and you would pair it with turkey and ham and stuff like that. So you got to look at the food demographics of wherever you're at too. In Canada, I, I'm assuming in Canada, they eat this stuff all day, every day, and they love it. In New York, I'm assuming they eat this all day, every day, and they love it. Out in California, Texas, I don't really know theirs. I know they more of a fruit-heavy kind of style thing. They like more fruit vegetables with lighter greens like lettuce and stuff like that. But they they mix their stuff to make, like, basically, if you want to say it, it's like making really nice salads or something. 
you know, you want to have some fruits that pair well with this nice salad or um, leafy greens that pair well with this salmon or whatever they're trying to do. So, but in the South, we like hearty foods. So for me in this book, when I was going through the whole book, I had to, in my head, change around the crops that he was using. So again, he listed out crops like using baby greens, salad greens, um, cherry tomatoes, cucumbers, stuff that when you cut, it comes back again and you can turn it around and flip the bed and sell it again for a high profit. Only problem is with all those baby greens and lettuce heads and stuff, you got basically from March till June where you can probably get some good harvest from baby greens like lettuce and mustard greens and arugula and spinach until it gets so hot that when you plant it, it bolts in two weeks. And when it bolts, I mean, that's when you see that yellow flower shoot up and it's getting very, very sour. Kale, kale is indestructible. Kale, you can grow that year round. Kale, do, kale does whatever kale wants to do. It does whatever the kale it wants to do. I mean, you can't stop kale. But all the other stuff that can cut and come back again, it bolts so quick. So that's what I'm saying. Probably from March. It might be from March till May. June might even be a stretch. So you have that small window to do that. So if it was me, I would focus more heavy on, hey, my spring, I'm going to grow a lot of these baby greens. But I'm going to grow more hardier, heat tolerant baby greens. So I would stick with kale. I would stick with spinach. I would stick with some heat tolerant lettuce. Um, if you used to do arugula, you need to sell the arugula quick because arugula will bolt on you real quick. Um, if you're going to do spinach, yeah, do spinach. Spinach can last a little while, but if it does get to that point where it's going to get too hot, it will bolt too. If you're going to do a lettuce mix, lettuce mix, you're probably going to get a few harvests out of it, but because it gets so humid and hot, that lettuce is going to start to look like it's rotting from the bottom. So if it was me, you got from March till May to sell that type of stuff. Now, in between that time, I would be focusing more heavy on my fruit stuff like squash, zucchini, cucumbers, beans, peas, tomatoes, uh, cherry tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, watermelon, okra, uh, and some of my root stuff because some of the root stuff does last. So radishes I would do but you need to get on the method of secessioning secessioning them and harvesting them really quick you could do turnips turnips last a little bit longer and you could definitely do carrots through the summer but I would focus heavy on the fruit stuff get your winter squash ready get watermelon ready get your potatoes in the ground if you want to do potatoes I would be focusing heavy on that because our summers last a whole lot longer than spring and fall. Then when fall rolls around, then I'll be focusing on integrating my fruit stuff with the hearty greens. Like if you want to do broccoli, if you want to do kale, if you want to do stuff like that, if you want to do corn, if you want to do corn, do corn in the summer. But I'll be focusing more on that because you really got to look at the food demographics of wherever you're at. But I know in this book, if you follow the methods in this book in your own small scale land, this is the book for you. Now, there's a couple of crops. I, I listed off some, but there are a couple of crops that I would not grow if you're on small scale land. If you're on a half an acre and less, there are some crops I would not grow. 
Now, you can grow whatever you want to grow, but if you want to take the advice of Cozy that some, and the advice of Curtis Stone, I'm holding this book close to my chest like it's the Bible. Um, if you want to take my advice, I would stay away from anything that when you harvest it once, is done. And I know people are saying, oh, you can get more out of that uh, crop than just the main head. I get that. But a lot of those one and done crops, they take so long to mature that you'll see on the seed packet, it'll say, oh, 60 days for a broccoli head. It might take you 80 days before you even see that broccoli head. And you really don't have the space to waste on something that's going to take 80 days to get there. Now, I know some people are just like, oh, you could take the broccoli leaves off and sell the broccoli leaves. Yeah, you could do all that. Or you could put collards in there instead and you could have had collards growing in 55 days and had the collards coming out. Or like in the book, you could have put lettuce there and then flipped the bed into like carrots or something. So it's like I would not do crops that when you harvest them once, they're done. So, for example, broccoli, cabbage, corn. Brussels sprouts to an extent because I do know most people will just cut off the whole entire stock and sell the whole stock. If you cut the actual Brussels off of them, they will grow back. It's just a little bit longer. But again, you really don't have the time to do that. I would not grow potatoes. I know some people are just like, hey, potatoes are a big money maker. You need a lot of land to make money back on potatoes. I would not do garlic. I grow garlic at my place, but that's just because the guy that I lease my land from, there's certain stuff that he likes. So he loves garlic. So I was like, hey, I'll grow you some garlic because let me lease your land for you. Now, if you are leasing land from somebody and they're asking like, hey, this is a list of crops that I want, set, a, set aside a little garden spot just for them. Just to say, hey, this is your spot. This is, this is where I'm growing your stuff at. And then save the rest of the land for the stuff that you can so you can make the most amount of money off of it. But again, that's just me. Um, I wouldn't do sweet potatoes. I'm sorry, I just wouldn't do sweet potatoes either. Um, just anything that when you cut it once and it's done and you really can't harvest it no more, I just would not do if you're on a half an acre and less. But if you're on a full-on acre, go, go crazy. Go wild. Do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do because you have enough land and you're smart enough to figure out, hey, I can put this here and I can put this here and I can succession this here. But if you was to follow the methods of this book and if you're on small scale land or if you're on borrowed or leased land and you're really in this to make money off of it, don't fool around with those kind of crops. Now, I know some people are just like, hey, lettuce has is a one and done kind of crop. Yes, it is, but also sometimes when lettuce heads grow back and you can cut off the leaves and make a salad mix, or they grow so quick, they only, it only takes 45 days for them to grow. You can flip the bed really quick and get more lettuce in the ground, and then you'll have a continuous cycle of lettuce. We'll discuss that more in a vegetable breakdown. But some stuff can be put in the ground if it comes back again really, really quick, like bok choy, or kohlrabi, stuff like that, where it doesn't take longer than 60 days for it to grow. If it takes like a month for it to grow, put it in the ground in your small-scale small place. But I'm telling you guys, this is the book to get. There's a lot of cool information in this book. 
Um, some stuff that I just haven't covered because I would rather you guys go out and get the book or you can go to his YouTube channel and watch some of the stuff on his YouTube channel. If you're smart and witty enough, you can kind of figure out what he's doing. Oh, excuse me. You can kind of figure out what he's doing just from his YouTube videos because he's one of those guys too that's not going to tell every single thing that he's doing because he is a teacher and he wants people to come and support his stuff. So you're not going to get every single thing that he could offer, like from the book or from his online courses. But in the YouTube videos, if you're savvy enough, you can kind of figure out what he's doing. Also, the big heavy on microgreens. I know some people are like, hey, Curtis Stone really was heavy on microgreens. What is your opinion on microgreens? My opinion on microgreens are it's kind of like mushrooms. It's another form of, of horticulture. It's hard to do microgreens and farm at the same time because there's a lot of different expenses with microgreens that a lot of people don't want to go through and i'll do that in a vegetable breakdown later but if you really want to do microgreens this is the book for you too so again this is the urban farmer growing food for profit on leased land and borrowed land by curtis stone i just dropped the book um like i dropped the bible but it's fine but um yeah if you guys really want to do something with small scale land, definitely lease it. And if you're just starting off, definitely lease it. And that is the book for you. But just keep in the back of your head, a lot of the crops that he grow, I need to base it off of the food demographics of wherever I'm at. And I need to look at the region that I'm in and I need to see what type of climate I have to see if it's even possible for me to do this kind of stuff. And it is possible, but you need, like how I just broke it down. How I just broke it down, you need to break it down like that. What crops are really going to be profitable for me in my region? Because if I was in Texas, I'd be growing lettuce all day. If I was in Texas, I'd be growing lettuce all day. That dry heat ain't shit. You come to Georgia, it is a beast. I've had friends come out here and they'll be like, oh man, there's only 100 degrees over there, dude. This is 110 in, in Texas. Come over here, sweat just coming out like they just came out of the shower. And they're just like, what is this? I told them, this is hell. That's what you're in. You just came to hell, buddy. Congratulations. Now you're in an outdoor sauna and you're finna lose 20 pounds by just walking to Walmart from your car. So congrats. Yeah. Texas and California and Arizona, that dry heat ain't shit compared to this humid heat. Sorry for cussing so much when I'm passionate about this heat. But if I was in Texas, I'd be growing lettuce all day. If I was in Texas, I'd be growing spinach and all those baked greens all day. So, um, let's move on to fan questions. This episode is brought to you by Heart Song Herbs. Heart Song Herbs is a farm and apothecary based in Athens, Georgia. They are proudly part of a growing movement of regenerative agricultural farming that prioritizes soil health to grow beyond organic. Founder Dana Nevins produces herbal tinctures and beauty care products with the vigor and potency of plants found as they grow in the wild right outside of her door. This high quality herbal medicine is available in two ounce formulas that aid in everything from immune support to anxiety relief. Find Hearts on Herbs at various Athens retailers or online at www.heartsonherbs.com. Again, that is www.heartsonherbs.com. 
Com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Recipe for Press. If your company wants to engage today's influencers and inspire them to write about you, then you need to read Recipe for Press. Athens-based communication advisor and author Amy Fleury helps entrepreneurs across the country demystify the process of pitching their story and creating a buzz. Her book, Recipe for Press, the DIY PR Guide to Being Your Own Publicist, is truly empowered me and so many other local companies to grow their customer base by sharing their stories. Listeners get a 20% discount with the code cozy when they order amy's book or any of her products in recipe for press store found on www.amyflurry.com again that is 20 percent off using the promo code cozy for any other products on recipe for press store found on www.amyflurry.com www.amyflurry.com Okay, I'm only going to do three questions because, again, today I am super exhausted. And um, like I said, farm market went by good. Farm market went by good. I'm really happy with how I did. And every Saturday you can see me rocking this uh, Cozy Bear jersey, 76. People ask me what's the significance of 76. That was my high school football number when... um, I got moved up to varsity my freshman year. So I played football my freshman year, and I was number 60. And after the JV season was done, I got moved up to varsity because the JV season was only like seven games. Varsity is like – varsity at that time, it was like 11 to 12 games, and then you had playoffs. So I got moved up to varsity because I guess I was pretty good. And I remember I got moved up there, and the lineman coach, Coach Paulson, my most favorite coach of all time, uh, he he was just all like, hey, what's your name again? And I was like, Dejan. He was like, oh, you that Yerby kid. And I was like, yeah. And we went to the um, equipment room, and he was supposed to give me and the other five freshmen that got moved up to varsity our jerseys. And when we was on JV, they asked us what number we wanted. He was all like, I'm just going to give y'all whatever number y'all want that I want to give y'all. So he legit just went to the rack and he was like, what's your position? And one guy was like, I'm a running back. Just threw him a number. He had me, what was my position? I was like, I'm a guard. And he just threw me 76. And I was like, I see 60 on the rack. Can I get 60? And he was all like, you get whatever I tell you you're going to get. So... Uh, after that day, I remember I was just 76 for the rest of my football high school career. And my mom was in the stands and she actually got a, uh, this is embarrassing, but she actually got a shirt made that said, uh, Yerby, the spirit of 76. Cause her thing was that whenever 76 was on the field, we would start making, plays and scoring and she was all like that's that spirit of 76 you take the spirit of 76 out y'all don't score but y'all put the spirit of 76 in y'all do score so that was her little um embarrassing mom moment that i will never live down um my real nickname from the announcer was the brick y'all the 
brick wall Yerby. I was Yerby the brick wall because it was really hard to get by me. So I wanted that nickname to stick, the brick wall. But when your um, 5'4 mother who has the lungs of an opera singer is screaming out, Spirit of 76. Everybody started saying Spirit of 76 and the announcer's nickname did not stick. But I, I really like the brick wall. But on to these fan questions. <laughs> My side embarrassing stories of high school. Fan question number one. I'm only going to do three of these. So, and again, if you want to send in fan questions, you can email me at cozybearmarketgarden at gmail.com. You can DM me. The only time I will tell people you can slide into my DMs at Cozy Bear Market Garden on Instagram. And also on Instagram, I will post every Sunday a black and white photo saying Cozy Bear Farms fan questions. And you can leave your questions under the comments below. And that's every Sunday. Um, first question. Cozy. Hey, Cozy. I really noticed that farmers don't take days off but i feel like everybody needs to have a rest day if you could have a night off what would be your perfect night off mm, okay so with my personality i know some people are going to be thinking oh he's going to be out at a club or a bar partying up or something nope um for me my perfect night off or my perfect day off or whatever that is, because I don't know what days off are. Haven't had a day off since middle school. Um, my ideal perfect day off would be me at my house with a bottle of whiskey in a nice recliner in a Snuggie. In a Snuggie. Y'all remember Snuggies, the little blanket bullshit things that were basically a bathrobe? Put me in a Snuggie. And I'm in a, a lightly dimmed room. Uh, I have a lamp over me pressing down on a good book that I'm reading. Preferably a um, like a, a, a fiction mythology book. Preferably Greek mythology, but it's like a fiction story. That's type, those are my type of favorite books. Um, it's raining a little bit outside and I open up the window so I can kind of hear the rain hit the ground. I turn on the air conditioning. I'm in that little snuggie. And then for some extra razzle dazzle, I'll turn on that ceiling fan. Whoo, that's the perfect day for me. And I can toss my phone in a whole nother room and put it on silent and not have to worry about it. And I could just do that for the whole entire day. Oh, and that book has to be a series because I read books extremely fast. I, I really get into books. I read them extremely fast. That um, Urban Farmer book, uh, I read that in two days. Uh, I read books really, really quick. So give me like a good lengthy series book that's super entertaining. Give me that dim room. Give me it raining a little bit outside. Give me that good lamp over me. I got a bottle of whiskey, preferably Japanese whiskey, because it's a lot smoother than American whiskey. And I'm just in a Snuggie. Just in a Snuggie. A gray Snuggie that's warm and form-fitting. And a super nice recliner. And I mean a recliner that gives you that perfect back support. 
not the recliner that has you sitting up straight like the one you could just sit in and your back just fits and I can put my little feet up like a kid and I just have my book in my hand. I'm just reading it. I can do that for a whole day. Maybe one day we'll get there. Maybe one day we'll get there. One day. But that's my perfect day. Forget going out to a bar and buying alcohol. I can buy alcohol on my own. I ain't trying to go to no bar and deal with drunk people. I ain't trying to deal with that. I don't get why people like bars. I just don't. It don't appeal to me. I'm around people all day. I can't I can't do a bar. And the reason I would throw my phone in a whole nother room is because since I'm a dad now, I graduated from a big brother to a dad. Seems like every five minutes somebody's messaging me or something about something. Last night, I had somebody message me at 10 o'clock, and I, and I tell everybody, don't message me after 9, because my brain shuts off after 9, but this person messaged me at 10 o'clock saying, hey, you up? I need some help with something, and I was like, man, I was on the verge of RDM sleep, and that one stupid beep just woke me up, and then I was up for another three hours, because I couldn't go back to sleep. So, shout out to that person that messaged me. You know who you are. Um, and, I, and I'll always answer back to that person. That is probably the only person I'll answer back at 10 o'clock. That's probably the only person. Everybody else, you're going to have to wait till the morning. That person, I probably would answer back to them. So, shout out to you. Um, shout out to you. Um, but if I do leave you on read, just know it was probably because I, I, I went to sleep. But, um, Okay. That's my perfect day off. Next question. Hey, Cozy. I see that my eggplants are getting bit up by beetles, but I really don't want to use pesticides. What methods can you suggest that I can use so that I can protect my eggplants from the beetles? If you don't want to use pesticides, eggplants is really tricky. Eggplants are really tricky because you would think people don't want eggplants, but people really do like eggplants. Um, If you can keep them going and get them to the farmer's market, it really is beneficial for you because they are heavy. So if you're selling them by the pound, you can make a lot off of eggplant. But if you want to keep your eggplant alive without using any pesticides, kudos to you. You want to stay organic. You're probably going to have to go out there every day and find the beetles and squish them with your hands. Um, I would put um, some type of frost cloth or something over them to protect them from the beetles. Um, I mean, you're not going to protect them without any pesticides. You're not going to protect them that much. Even with pesticides, you're not going to be able to protect them that much. You're just trying to get them to the uh, end goal. Um, So... Once they flower, you have no problems. So one thing you can do is use the pot up method in your greenhouse. So before you plant them outside, just say you had them in some 72s, pot them up to 36s, and then you pot them up to one inch plant to one inch pots. Uh, If you have a bigger pot than a one inch pot, pot it up to that and just let it grow as big as possible and let it flower in your greenhouse because you can control the environment in your greenhouse. And then once they flower, you ain't going to really have no more problems with beetles or anything. I know a lot of times I, I plant them in the ground before I even let them flower, but that's just because I need to get stuff out of the greenhouse 
But I have another succession of eggplants that I just started the other day. And those, I'm going to wait until they fully flower before I even put them outside. Sometimes I'll do that with peppers too. I'll let them flower and then I'll put them outside. The tomatoes, when they get so big, I just put them straight outside. I don't really wait for the tomatoes. It's just when the tomatoes get bigger than that pot and I see that they're a good, healthy size and the the stem is still that really nice dark green, then I'll put them outside. But another trick you can do too to protect your eggplants are um, fire ants really, really love eggplants. Fire ants really love eggplants. And the fire ants will destroy the root system of that eggplant. So this is one thing you can do too. Grow some really, really hot peppers. So the hottest pepper that I know that is still edible to everybody that you can sell. There's some hot peppers that are just ridiculous. I would not sell them. Um, grow some cayenne peppers. Grow some cayenne peppers. And when you're planting in your row, do one plant, plant one cayenne, then plant an eggplant, then plant a cayenne, then plant an eggplant, then plant a cayenne. You want to do that interplanting or companion planting because the juices from the cayenne will get into the ground and it will keep the fire ants away. And then the roots, the roots, sometimes I'm trying to think of the words to say, the roots will release kind of like these hot juices too that will make the ground kind of spicy and you really won't deal with fire ants anymore. Fire ants don't like it. They'll, they'll shoo away. So that's another way to help your eggplants out from the ground. But you're more looking at from above ground. And again, it's going to be the hardest challenge to keep your eggplants alive without using any pesticides. But even if you are using pesticides, it's still going to be hard too. So those are just some suggestions that I would say to do. But um, Hopefully that helps. Hopefully that helps you and you have a bounty full of eggplants. And I think eggplants take 70 to 80 days. So 70 to 80 days. Get some eggplant. Next question. Hey, Cozy. So I'm trying to grow watermelon, but I really don't know when should I start growing it. When do you suggest you start growing watermelon? Well, person, I need to know where you live. So I'm just going to assume you live in Georgia. If it was me for watermelon, watermelon is a tough crop, too, because a lot of times you don't know when the watermelon is ready. There's all these different types of tricks. Like you can knock on it. If the uh, bottom are yellow, that's when it's ready. Some people wait for the vine to shrivel up and turn yellow and then they pick it. Some people wait till the maturity date. And then pick it. So if it says it takes 100 days to grow, they'll wait 100 days and then pick it. The only problem with that is you have new watermelon growing almost every single day. So you can't really use that method. But um, if it was me, if I was to grow watermelon, I probably would not grow watermelon on my uh, spot of land because it's very small. And it takes up a lot of space. But if I was to grow watermelon, I would start it in my greenhouse in May, plant it in June. Um, you're going to have to forget that July 4th thing. I know a lot of people will say, oh, you don't you want to have watermelon for July 4th. Um, in Georgia, it's still frost in, in April. 
So if you start your watermelon in March and then plant it outside in April, it's still frost in April. And I mean hard frost in April. I know a lot of people be putting like, oh, frost cloth up, frost cloth down. Yeah, the frost cloth helps protect it from the frost, but that cold temperature is not going to like that really, really cold temperature. And sometimes the temperature alone could just kill the plant. Like if it gets below 29, that it's, the stuff just dead. Even if there's no frost, stuff just dead. Um, so if it was me, I'd plant it in June and just sell it um, after 4th of July. Because people are going to buy watermelon regardless. I know that's just an old term that people like to say around here. Like you got to have watermelon before or after 4th of July because you can't really sell it any other time. And it's like you go to Walmart and Target, they got watermelon up in there all the time. So... You can sell it whenever. So, but um, if you're asking, like, when should I do it? I right now it's June, so hopefully you started it back in May. But even if you started now, go ahead and start it now, and um, it will be ready by August. It will be ready by August. So, but again, watermelon is really, really tricky. I just don't deal with it. I'll rather buy it from somebody else and just cross my fingers that it's uh ripe on the inside because it's one of those tricky crops now some people they just got it down pat where they just like it's ready and when they pick it it's ready and i mean like i said there's all different types of tricks where you can knock on it if you knock on it and it sounds hollow that means it's ready if the vines get yellow and shriveled up that means it's ready that's probably gonna be your best bet when the vines shrivel up and get yellow that's probably gonna be your best bet um and I'm talking about the vine that's leading directly into the watermelon, not the whole in general line, um, vine. Did I say line? Not the whole in general vine, just a little, um, just a little uh, sucker that goes into the actual watermelon. So, but mm, yeah. Now, ho hopefully that answers. We can do one more. We can do one more. Uh, let me look through these. See if I can find a good one. Oh, here's a fitness one. I haven't done a fitness one in a while. Um, hey, Cozy, I saw that you used to do CrossFit, powerlifting, and strongman competitions, but then you suddenly stopped. Did you stop because farming and fitness was just too much, or did you stop because of an injury? What was the reason why you stopped? I like to do CrossFit, then go out to my farm and do some farm work. It helps me stay in shape and helps me stay energized. Well, why did you stop? Why did you stop? Grammar person. Why did you stop with the heavy, heavy? Okay. Mumble through that. Um, Yeah, I used to do CrossFit. I used to do powerlifting and I used to do strongman competitions. But um, after a while... My joints started to hurt more. I saw that I was out of breath a lot more, and it just, I just didn't, my back back pains were just in, insane. So CrossFit is good for if you got a desk job and you ain't doing nothing else. Powerlifting is great if you have a desk job and you ain't doing nothing else. And powerlifting is, uh, strongman competitions are good if you have those type of jobs where you can kind of sit there and rest if you're farming, I mean, you're already in uncomfortable positions all the time. And yeah, it's just tough. Um, I loved CrossFit and I love powerlifting and I love strongman competitions. I love doing that. But just going back out and farming, it was just a beast. 
So now I just work out like a normal human being. I do more, uh, they're more bodybuilding workouts, but I'm not doing them so that I can look like Arnold Schwarzenegger because that's a lot of steroids and I don't want to do steroids. Um, I just do them because they help me keep up enough strength where I can do some of my farm work. So like if I have a hundred, uh, if I have a crate full of carrots and the carrots are a hundred pound, like a hundred pound crate of carrots, I can pick that up easily and toss it in the truck. Um, if I need to compost somewhere, I can fill up the wheelbarrow full of compost and get it down there. So I wouldn't say don't do no physical activities. Um, I know a lot of people say, oh, farming is my exercise. It's not the same. Um, really, if I was a, uh, if, from a farmer point of view, I would do a lot more resistant weight training. So just kind of working against gravity so that you can move stuff a lot easier, but definitely stretch a lot more. Definitely go on runs, go on hikes, go biking, build up your cardiovascular muscles, um, because farming is uh, is an endurance battle, and you're going to need a lot of endurance. Now, you don't have to go run an ultra marathon to get endurance, but there's just some stuff that you could do. But um, if you do CrossFit and you can still farm, have at it. It just... For me, I think from football injuries and all that other stuff, like you guys got to realize too, I've been working out since the sixth grade. Once I I was in the sixth grade, we started weightlifting. So I've been working out since the sixth grade. I'm, I'm 25 now and that stuff is starting to catch up to me where it's like, hey, years of like spine pains and knee pains and all that other stuff. I got to cut back on super heavy lifting because I got to look more down the long run of, hey, I want to live a lot longer and I don't want to have so many issues in my life. So that those are just my suggestions. But if you love to be a power lifter and you want to go farm, go for it. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. If you want to uh, run an ultra marathon and then go out and farm, go do that. Do whatever you want to do, man. Not going to stop you. Not going to stop you. But just for me, why I stopped doing all that stuff is because it was just too much on my body because um, um, medical background history on me, me sitting down right now, I burn 1900 calories. Me just sitting here, I burn 1900 calories. I burn from me going to the gym at 6 a.m. in the morning, then coming here doing this podcast then going to my farm and not getting back home until 6 o'clock, I burned 5,000 calories a day. And I drank three gallons of water a day. So I need to cool it with a lot of the physical activity that I do. So that's why, that's another reason why I stopped doing that. Now, when I was doing CrossFit and powerlifting and all that stuff, then I would go to my farm I was burning a crazy amount of calories and I kept getting headaches. My back was hurting a lot more. So it just just wouldn't work out for me. But now I'm cool with just burning 5,000 calories a day. I feel energized. I feel fine. I only eat twice a day. So I could just be weird, but that just works for me. Um, But yeah, that answers that question. So thanks again for watching the show. 
Um, support us on all social media platforms. I'm just joking. I only have Instagram. And you can find me every Saturday rocking this dope-ass Cozy Bear jersey at the Marigold Farmer's Market in Pritter Park in Winterville, Georgia, every Saturday from 10 to 2. And come by and support all the other fabulous vendors that are there, too. So, again, thank you guys for watching or listening or doing whatever you guys are doing. And Cozy is officially out of here.